the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Reaching Your Heart. Pastor Michael Oxentenko's message today is entitled, The Art of Not Losing a Heart. That's The Art of Not Losing a Heart, and you can find it online at ReachingYourHeart.com. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, you can call us at any time, 24-7. Here's the phone number, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Here now is Pastor Michael Oxentenko with the art of not losing heart. Today's Reaching Your Heart. Father, we ask for abiding grace to focus in the Word, to grow in Jesus, to know Him more fully. We thank you for our magnificent Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Winston Churchill once said, Without courage, all virtues lose their meaning. And this is absolutely true. Courage is not the absence of fear, but the facing of fear. Fear and courage can stand together so long as courage calls the shots and faces fear down. Courage is the thing that is discovered deep inside that sets the compass of the soul to sail a course through any difficulty, however long or strong, You see, courage is the vital component of faith. Without courage, there is no faith. When we speak of virtue, of necessity, we must speak of courage. There is no virtue unless there is the courage to keep virtue alive and to do the good when giving up seems good instead. I mean, so when we are faced with the perplexities of how to pull it off, courage is what we need. C.S. Lewis once wrote, Courage is not simply one of the virtues but the form of every virtue at the testing point. As Christians, we cannot separate courage from prayer. When we are put to the test, courage cannot take a stand unless it is prepped with prayer. So in this sense, you can think of courage being superglued to persistent prayer. The art of not losing heart is in fact the art of praying well when you can't see the outcome and you can't sense the solution to the problem you face. Winston Churchill faced fear on a global scale. I mean, he literally faced down Adolf Hitler. He learned to look at an impossible situation and then to marshal the courage to face it and to stare down the dictator of his age. And he said this, Courage is going from failure to failure without losing enthusiasm. Losing enthusiasm is losing heart. And when you lose heart, you've lost courage. The art of not losing heart is the art of keeping your enthusiasm when it looks like you're a failure. When circumstances say you have failed, there is something about going on and maintaining enthusiasm which defines you as a courageous person. An unknown author once said, anyone can give up, it's the easiest thing in the world to do, but to hold it together when everyone else would understand if you fell apart, that's true strength. So if you came here today feeling like falling apart, dear heart, God has called you to hold it together. God has called you to courage. God has called you to strength because there really is no other option for the Christian. As Christians, God has not called us to weakness, 
Sometimes we verbalize weakness in the congregation. We verbalize our struggles too much to the extent that we don't call on God for courage. He has called us to strength, honor, and courage. And the call to courage is a call to prayer because persistent prayer is the art of not losing heart. Jesus Christ started the parable of the importunate widow with a call to courage in the Christian life. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 1. And Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Luke is very clear here. He says we should always pray. Not in the evening, not in the morning. We should pray throughout the day. Our lives should breathe the atmosphere of prayer. And he gives the reason for this, so we will not lose heart. You see, for Jesus, constant prayer is the secret to not losing heart. When I meet someone who is overcome with discouragement, when I meet someone who simply can't see five inches in front of their face, when they are bowed down and they have given up hope, they have surrendered the future to the feeling of now, I can almost tell that that person has been off of their knees because if you are praying right now, you may be struggling. You may be going through difficulties that you cannot define. You may not be able to sense how you're going to fix it, but you have not surrendered courage if you are on your knees and you're praying to God for His presence in your life. To be always found in an attitude of prayer is to ensure that you will not be overcome with discouragement at any time in your life. The Greek word translated to lose heart in Luke 18.1 is ekkakeo, and it means literally to act badly. You see, to lose heart means to act badly. In the New Testament, this word carries the idea of being tired and weary of doing good. To act badly is only possible in the context if you give up on being good and choosing the good. To act badly is only possible if you're tired of God's road and you're saying it's too rough for me to continue and I'm going to surrender my faith. You see, only until that point are you good when you surrender the future to sorrow, to discouragement, to fear, then you begin to act badly. So in a sense, losing heart is acting badly. It is a spiritual principle that you cannot fail or fall if you live in a state of constant prayer. According to Jesus, constant prayer is the best hedge against acting badly. Now, I must confess to you, I was teetering this week in the scales. I was hit by a circumstance in which I began to act badly. How many of you love Microsoft Windows? Do we have Apple people here? Raise your hands. The Apple people, the Apple operating system first. If you like your operating system, speak loudly or forever hold your peace. And your computer, you like it. Most Apple people like apples. How many of you work with Microsoft Vista, XP? The worst was Windows Me. It wasn't for me. How many of you like Windows Vista? Raise your hand high. Uh-oh, hands went down. How many of you like Windows 7 better? Okay, a lot more Windows 7 people here. I was at a meeting, and I got a call from my little son. I knew it because he kept calling me back on my cell phone. I had to leave the meeting. When I left the meeting, I got home and he had this sad look on his face like, Dad, my world has just fallen apart. And he looked at his computer and it had crashed. The operating system had crashed. Now, I don't know why they can't make an operating system that can resist viruses. And I looked at his computer and, you know, it has this boot up phase and you see this line going across the bottom as it's trying to initialize. And then you go into the window where your desktop is there. You know, everything's fine. Well, it was just stuck there in a do loop, just going over and over and over again. 
He said, Dad, nothing I do works. I'm afraid I've lost my computer. He says, it's so bad because my entire school year, I'm a homeschooler, is on that computer. And I got switched on schoolhouse and I feel betrayed. Something is terrible here. He was communicating those feelings. And of course, you know, when you're faced with this kind of dilemma, who has to fix the problem? Dad. So I looked at it and I said, go to bed. And I was up all night trying to figure out how to fix that thing. Then I was working at the hard drive. I tried to get it to reboot. It wouldn't reboot. Then I went on the internet and got a program that would repair Windows. And I stuck it in the CD and it wouldn't repair Windows. It says you have to format the hard drive to repair this problem. And I said, that's not what I want to do. I'll lose this program. I tried any and everything I could. And finally I found a program that would allow me to go in there and reach into that hard drive and try and pull out his backup file, which was part of his Switched On Schoolhouse program, and I was able to pull it out around 4 a.m. in the morning. I was up all night. Well, we have to work for a living, so no sleep that day. Went to work that day. And you know how it is when you don't have sleep and you're frustrated, and he was saying, Dad, it's not too bad. I might finish next year if I start all over again. That is not an option. I mean, so I was thinking, I'd take the hard drive out, I'd put it in a portable hard drive adapter, maybe I'd go to some geek at Best Buy, no, I'd go to a real geek maybe who knows what he's doing better, and have them figure out how to pull that thing out and fix this thing. Well, the thought hit me, what you've got to do is buy Windows 7. And if you buy Windows 7, you can load it over Windows Vista, and then maybe it will find all the programs and fix it. As I was walking by the Apple Macintosh section, breaking the 10th commandment, I finally found Windows 7 at the end of the store and I purchased an OEM version of Windows 7. Came home and I said, I have the cure in my hand. After a prayer meeting, I started the fix. Put Windows 7 in there. It said the same thing. Can't fix this thing unless you format that hard drive and wipe everything out. I said, Windows 7, threw it down. How do you save your son's entire school year? Can you feel the feeling? that I had, it was worse than what I'm communicating to you. So, when you feel like losing heart, you begin to act badly. I was tense. My voice had a tense state to it. Donald said, Dad, are you okay? Yes, I'm fine. I wasn't fine. And then it hit me. Pray. Pray. So we bowed our heads. I brought my boy in and I said, we can't fix this thing. We don't have the mental know-how to pull it off. Jesus is going to have to illumine our dull minds for me to figure out how to do this. So we bowed our heads, we prayed, and then said amen. And then what happened after that was one series of events. I was up a good deal of the night, but everything was working right. I was able to reason how that backup file could be reconnected to another piece of software. I'd not been able to make it interface on my computer, but I found the right version of the software that would work with the database type. And I began to think like a geek. I'm not a geek, but I began to think like one, and soon it happened. Suddenly, I hit the restore button on a program I'd loaded on my computer, and it worked. And it came up, and I said, is that your year? He says, yes, Dad, that's my school year. I can finish the school year. And I was excited. Then I reformatted his hard drive and loaded his program and then rebooted it up. And you guess what happened? The backup came alive and it happened. Two and a half days. But what was impressed upon my mind was the principle. 
that when we are at the end of our intellectual rope, when our efforts fail, when we cannot make sense of the future, dear heart, it is a call to prayer. And we should not wait to pray. We should pray as our first line of offense in every difficulty. And pastors must be renewed in this lesson. It is not human to our nature. The Greek word translated lose heart in Luke 18.1 occurs only six times in the New Testament and only once in the Gospel of Luke. It's a very special word. In 2 Corinthians 4.1-2, we find it here. It says, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. Which means we do not act badly. Verse 2, We have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. God's mercy and God's call for you is a call to not act badly. And because of that, you can renounce disgraceful and underhanded ways. You do not have to surrender to try to manipulate outcomes in your life. God can pull it together for you. 2 Corinthians 4.16 So we do not lose heart. Meaning, we do not act badly. Though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed every day. So when we hang in there with God, when we pray consistently, what happens is, We don't follow the road of our tendencies consistently. The Holy Spirit overcomes our nature and we begin to be renewed every day. It is a spiritual principle that God gives nothing to the person who gives up on doing the good. Giving up is the easy road. It is the coward's way. And the book of Revelation says there will be no cowards in heaven. So we have no option but courage as Christians. And giving up on a righteous cause is a form of acting badly. Galatians 6, 9, And let us not grow weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Again, if we do not act badly. Paul promises the Christians at Galatia that in time they will reap the fruit of not losing heart. The art of not losing heart is the art of persistent prayer. If you are not on your knees, if you are not in the habit of pleading with God for life and direction, If you are so sure of yourself, if you're so confident in your outcomes that you can't be hanging on to God in prayer, dear heart, you are doomed to failure. You will eventually give up courage and you will not succeed in God's plan. We need prayer to succeed. Ephesians 3, 13 to 14. So I ask you, Paul says, not to lose heart, which means not to act badly over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. And the last usage in the New Testament, 2 Thessalonians 3.13, Brethren, do not be weary in well-doing. The Greek, again, ekakeo, literally, brethren, do not behave badly in well-doing. When you give up on doing good because you're under pressure, you're really doing bad. So there's a lot at stake for us all here. If you surrender your courage to fear, then there is nothing left for you but the bad. So there is no option. We must not surrender our courage as Christians. We must hold on to God by faith. In the Bible, when the ten spies returned from spying out the land of Canaan, they gave a bad report about the land. How many of you remember that story? They went, they sent the spies, they came back, and they said, Oh no, we might actually succeed in going in. And if we do, we're going to find out that they're too big for us. They said, we are grasshoppers and they are giants. We can't fight against giants. Now think about this. The great God of the Exodus that had defeated the mightiest nation on earth, that had taken ten plagues and wiped them out and pushed them down, here was a small-minded group of leaders saying, we can't fight against giants. 
We live in their country and we can't occupy their land and their cities forgetting that God said they could. We look like grasshoppers to these giants. And the Bible says that people believe the evil report. You see, your future is defined by what you believe. If you believe the negative, if you believe the evil, you will become evil and negative. But if you latch on to God and His Word, and you believe that He has called you for something better than what you see, then that Word will shape you as you apply it by faith. But they believed the evil report, and they took up stones to kill Joshua and Caleb. And the name Caleb in the Hebrew is a play on two words. Kelev is the word for dog. And no doubt he was named Dog by his dad. He was the man named Dog. I don't know about you, that would be a bad name to carry through life, wouldn't it? Dog? Hello, my name is Dog. How are you? That would be hard to say, wouldn't it? You ever felt like a dog? Don't answer that question too loudly in this place. But it's very similar to another Hebrew construction, Kalev. And Kalev is the word for the whole heart. And so the man who was named Dog said, I don't like that name. And he changed the vowels to the whole heart. He was the man who chose to believe, to have faith, to follow God with all his heart. And he is known in history as the whole heart man, not the dog. But the children of Israel believed an evil report, spent 40 years in the wilderness because of the sin of unbelief. They died there. He went to the promised land. Dear heart, if you have to choose a course for your life, do not choose a negative direction. Choose the positive and allow faith to latch on to God and move forward. Does that mean you always feel good? No. Does it mean that you have optimal feelings all the time? No. But it means you have God by faith. You can go where God leads. When God works a miracle in your life and He opens up the way to move forward after a difficult challenge, dear heart, you need to throw caution to the wind and move forward in faith as fast as you can when that door is open because it doesn't stay open forever. Luke 18, 1 again, and Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. As I was preparing to write this sermon, I turned to May 7 in the morning watch book called Streams in the Desert. I've been reading it this year with my family. And the thought for the day was introduced by Luke 18.1, the very verse I picked for the sermon. So it's magical and amazing to me. I didn't plan it, but I believe God did. And here is the thought that jumped off the page into my head that I hope stays for a while in my head and your head. Let me share it with you. The author writes, No temptation in the life of intercession is more common than this of failure to persevere. We begin to pray for a certain thing. We put our petitions for a day, a week, a month, and then receiving as yet no definite answer, straightway we faint and cease altogether from prayer concerning it. This is a deadly fault. It is simply the snare of many beginnings with no completions. It is ruinous in all spheres of life. The man who forms the habit of beginning without finishing has simply formed the habit of failure. The man who begins to pray about a thing and does not pray it through to a successful issue or answer has formed the same habit in prayer. And dear heart, God has not called us to fail in prayer. He's not called us to fail with courage. So there's much at stake when you consider the importance of persistent prayer, the art of not losing heart. The person who quits is doomed to fail in the Christian life because you cannot succeed without prayer. This is the context of Jesus' parable of the importunate widow. Now, the word importunate means persistent in petition, sometimes annoyingly so. It means to be troublesome if necessary in your petition. It means you might even border on the rude to get what you want. 
It means really to not take no for an answer, to be keep at it, and on and on. Luke 18, verse 2, Jesus said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor regarded man. The judge in Jesus' parable functioned in the Roman world under Roman law. Now, I've had the privilege of going to Rome, and I've been a student of Roman culture for a number of years now, and I can appreciate what's happening in this parable. An old Roman proverb says, A corrupt judge does not carefully search for truth. Another Roman proverb says, A good and faithful judge ever prefers the honorable to the expedient. Now, the judge in this parable was a corrupt Roman judge who neither feared God or man. He held his office for political and personal advantage. That's why he was there. The raw reality of it was he was a politician. He didn't care what people thought of him, and he didn't care what God thought of him either. In that sense, he may not have been a great politician, but he actually cared about his own self-interest. That's what Jesus is saying. Rome was famous for law, and he didn't care about Roman law if he only cared about those two things. He took his appointment as a personal proof that he could interpret the law as he saw fit with his own self-interest in mind. It was a vehicle to get what he wanted. Roman law was nothing more than his law to manipulate. Now Christ is careful to say that this judge did not fear God or man. But he does not say he did not fear a woman. You notice he left that out. He didn't fear God or man, but he doesn't say he didn't fear a woman. And look at verse 3. Here's why Jesus didn't say that. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Vindicate me against my adversary. And verse 2, Jesus says, In a certain city there was a judge. In verse 3, Jesus says, There was a widow in that city. That is the connection. In the Roman world of Jesus' day, it was expected that a widow would remarry. You were not a widow long or you would not survive long in the Roman world. The Emperor Augustus actually passed a law requiring that widows remarry in order to inherit property outside of their immediate family. So you were very much sabotaged and you were at a disadvantage in a legal state if you were a widow in Roman law. The chances of you getting a fair deal or trial before a judge was greatly diminished by the fact that you were a widow. So Jesus uses the figure of a widow to illustrate the unlikely nature of a favorable verdict from the unrighteous judge. Now, have you ever prayed for something you just felt like there was no way God was going to do that for you, but you wanted it anyway? What? Well, raise your hand. I want to see it. I've prayed something like that. I've prayed it on numerous occasions. Now, dear heart, if what you're asking for is for your best interest in the glory of God and for the good of God's service, why would God not give that to you if you ask for it? Knowing all things, of course, you do not. But if it is in fact the case, would He not give you the good if it can be used for others? Yes or no? Yes. But so few of us, and I include myself at times, we fail to pray for that which we need, that which is for our good, that which God wants to give us because we are afraid it's just too impossible to receive Dear heart, there's nothing that is impossible with our God. Verse 3 says, she kept on coming to him. No doubt the first time she came, he said, no, politely. No, you cannot have what you want. The second time he said, no, a little less politely. We could surmise from the text that he kept on saying no again and again and again. Why? Because the text says she kept on coming to him. You know, it's hard to hear someone say no again and again. Have you ever tried to sell something? 
I was a call porter and I tried to sell books. I'd go to the door and they'd say, no. I'd kind of pull myself off the ground, walk to the next door. No. It takes about 30 no's before you sell books. So if you can't deal with the no's, you'll never get to the yeses. Thanks for listening today. If this broadcast has ministered to you, remember you can download a copy from reachingyourheart.com. There are also many other messages available at that website. Once again, reachingyourheart.com. If you're a regular listener to this broadcast, or if you've just tuned in for the first time and have been inspired by this sermon, and you'd like to partner with us to help keep these radio broadcasts on the air, you can simply call us at 1-888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-HOPE, day or night, 24-7. One of our team is available to assist you right now. We believe God is moving across the globe, touching lives and reaching hearts, and you are helping make this a reality with your gift of any amount. These are urgent times, and God has an urgent message. God's message in Revelation is one of warning and encouragement And it's a personal appeal to all of mankind. It is his final message before sweeping changes occur across the globe. Events that will take place just prior to Christ's second coming. You see, God doesn't want his church to be surprised by the events that will take place. He wants his church ready for his return. We have a book titled God's Last Altar Call that will encourage you and help you understand what events must take place as found in the book of Revelation. We'll send you this book for a donation of any amount and pray that you will be encouraged to know that you can discern the events that must take place prior to His second coming. Please call at any time, 24-7-888-244-HOPE. And with a donation of any amount, we'll send the book right out to you entitled, God's Last Altar Call. We pray that you will be lifted up by the biblical insights in this book and grow spiritually in your walk with Christ. Thanks for tuning in, and we pray that God is reaching your heart and growing you up in Christ through these messages. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.